If you weren't here for breakfast this morning, uh, you might be wondering why in the world I would get up here dressed like this and talk. Um, well, the reason is because we had our final pants and pancakes this morning. Uh, pants and pancakes, well, I'll tell you all that in a minute. It's been going on for a long time. And so uh, we are going to be transitioning out of that and into some other things. And so Kent gave me about 15 minutes, and I'll promise not to go over that, um, to talk about where pants and pancakes came from, um, what we sort of learned from it, so that as he gets up uh, after that and sort of talks about where we're going next, um, we'll be able to have learned uh, some lessons from it. Uh, and things. And so that's why I'm dressed this way. Um, when we were kind of planning this morning, uh, I mentioned uh, kind of casually that, well, I'll be making breakfast and then coming over and speaking. And so I'll be dressed like I'm making breakfast, not like I'm speaking. And I kind of like the idea of that, um, considering that the purpose of this morning is to talk about service and the way that the church serves the community around us. Um, I sort of like the literature of me being dressed to work instead of dressed to speak. Um, I said, because, you know, I'll smell like bacon and I'll have, you know, pancake batter on me. And uh, Daniel Nussbaum says, uh, well, if you want, I can just throw batter at you. (laughs) And I was like, no, 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 it would have to be organic. Um, And sure enough, while I'm walking through the kitchen this morning, she turns around to pretend to ask me if we want to cook up all the batter. And she's got the pitcher in her hand and just goes splat. And as soon as I knew that she wasn't going to be able to stop before she got me with the batter, I knew what she was doing. Uh, where are you, Danielle? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I'll also let you in on it. I didn't think about this until it was after over, and I don't think she did either. But probably nine or ten years ago, we had kind of a prank war going amongst the sort of core volunteers of Pants and Pancakes. Um, I got my car peeped one time. I think that was Danielle's idea, too. Um, if not, it was Kelly Carter's. Um, I, I made a giant, like, life-size stuffed Santa Claus mannequin um, and attached it to Kelly Carter's windshield like she had run over Santa Claus. Um, I put a rubber rat on Ryan Russell's doorstep uh, with a note that said something really awful. Um, and so I told Danielle this morning, she won the nine-year-old prank war by kicking a field goal when we were out of time. And she deserves to be congratulated. Uh, The idea for Pants and Pancakes really first started coming about in late 2008. Um, Really, we had like, if you want to know how long ago that was, we had just found out uh, that Carissa was pregnant with Aiden and Beckett. And they have literally grown up at Pants and Pancakes because they weren't born yet um, when we started it. Uh, And it came out of uh, our life group that we had at the time that was us and the Carters and the Beckhams and the Burnhams. And we had been going through a lot of scripture that may have been assigned to us, or I can't remember, and and really kind of just having really sort of good philosophical conversations and and trying to look at scriptures in ways that we hadn't really looked at them um, before. And we had been talking a lot about what an active faith should look like. Um, We were all kind of in our, you know, late 20s by then, except for Jerry, who was much, much older. Um, He's not here to defend himself, so I can make fun of his age. And so we were really kind of coming into our own and being able to do stuff. And so we were beginning to question, like, what does it mean to do stuff? What should we be doing um, to be faithful people? Uh, We've been talking a lot about um, 
the sort of Western division of the concept of the soul and the concept of the body, uh, and how in both Old Testament and New Testament scriptures, those ancient cultures, uh, that separation doesn't exist. We think of the soul as being separate from the body when we die. The soul leaves and goes to heaven. Um, you know, we have things that we feel in our soul, but then we have things that happen in our body. Um, that's a distinction that comes from Plato in the Greek world, and that we've inherited from that tradition. It's not the ancient Near Eastern tradition. In the ancient Near Eastern tradition, there is no separation between the spirit and the body. One cannot be changed without the other being changed automatically and naturally because they don't exist apart from one another, except in a really, really boring way. Um, and so we were talking a lot about what that meant and how that sort of expressed itself because it's not suddenly enough for me just to believe the right things because I should be doing something also. Um, through that, we started to think differently about um, scriptures that we had looked at that we hadn't really thought of in that way before. And so, of course, one of the ones that came up um, was, uh, was you know, pretty famously in James, um, but true and undefiled religion is this, uh, that you go to the orphan and the widow in the time of their distress. Um, now, obviously, we um, you know, believe in the importance of orphans and widows, um, also, uh, after all, one of the people who was in that planning session was in the early stages of adopting half the city um, at that time. Um, but we had a, Kelly just now figured out that it's her. Um, but we had a more expansive idea of that because in, so in the culture, the reason that the widow and the orphan has to get specifically mentioned is in that culture, there is no welfare, there is no life insurance, there is no retirement fund, nobody has a 401k. Um, your financial security, your ability to eat and to live came entirely from the uh, working age male member of your household. And so if you're a widow or you're an orphan, that means that that person is gone. And so it was real easy for them to be overlooked in that society because everyone just assumed that someone was taking care of them. And the early church was trying to teach each other that that's not the case. Part of being the big family of the church is recognizing that people's families who can't do for them what our culture expects the family to do are now ours. And so we expanded the idea beyond just orphans and widows and we began thinking a lot about um, people who were neglected um, in the way that we've kind of formed our society. So not just orphans and widows, although um, you know, they're also included, uh, but working class poor, um, people who don't have good access to, to health care. Um, the people who as a church are supposed to now belong to us because culture at large just doesn't notice them or just assumes that they're being taken care of by someone else. Um, the other uh, verse that I remember I'm thinking very deeply about um, was Matthew 5, 13, for you are the salt of the earth. Uh, and if you lose your saltiness, if salt loses its seasoning, what good is it except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot? Um, now, we'd all listened to lots of sermons about what that means. Um, we knew that, um, you know, to us, salt is a nice seasoning that makes your french fries taste good, um, but that should be used in moderation so that you don't have bad cholesterol. But preachers love to make sure that we know that in the ancient world, salt is a preservative. It's necessary to keep meat from spoiling. And so it has a really, really important function in a world that doesn't have artificial refrigeration. Um, that's been pointed out to me every uh, Every church I've ever been to in any denomination, somebody has mentioned that, and it's a great lesson to learn. Uh, and if you hadn't heard it before, it's a really cool thing for your GWIS file. But we really started asking, like, what does that mean? 
it's really easy for us um, to sort of assume that we sort of preserve the earth simply by existing in it. Um, somehow our goodness or our righteousness uh, preserves the world around us just because we're so great, as if we're the 10 people that Lot couldn't find in Sodom and Gomorrah, right? Um, like if, if God looks down and sees that, hey, Northwest Church of Christ is there, so the world is, is saved. Um, we didn't think that that really was the whole story. Um, not when you really start to put the spirit, your faith, and the physical, your body, together. So what does it mean to be salty, to be the salt um, of the earth? Because um, again, through that lens where we believe that the physical is supposed to mirror the spiritual, what if preserving the world, being salty in the world, uh, meant that we should be doing the actual work of saving the world? What if it isn't just us existing and being righteous and following all of the right rules, but what if it meant getting out and getting our hands dirty and doing the physical earth of saving the world? And I don't even mean that like evangelism. I mean actually feeding people who need to be fed, um, providing medical care to people who need medical care, work, actual physical labor. Um, and we began to think about that a lot. And so our question was like, how do we operationalize our saltiness? If we're going to be salty, uh, what does it mean? And so we started coming up with lots of ideas. We thought about it for several months and throwing a lot of things out. The two that ended up really sticking as sort of practical, um, oh, cool, um, as sort of practical things we could do were pants and pancakes, as you now know it, and uh, Raz attacks. Um, probably very few of you remember Raz attacks. We didn't do that many of them. Raz stood for Random Act of Service. Um, the idea was actually a really smart one, is that it was pants and pancakes would be the inbring. That's where people would come and visit us. And then the Raz attacks would be the outreach. That's where we would go out um, to the world and do stuff. Um, and so we, we did do some of the kind of typical stuff that you see, like packing you know, paper sack lunches and going downtown and passing them out to people. My favorite one was actually we set up a grill in an apartment complex down here on 23rd Street one time just to grill um, burgers and hot dogs and give them to the residents and just like talk to them and stuff. Um, that was really cool. That was my favorite. Um, we didn't have near as many people come to it as, as I was hoping for, but I still love the idea. It's a great idea um, of having an outdoor cookout um, with these people. Um, as it uh, began to grow, by the way, um, I don't remember who came up with the name Raz Attacks. Uh, I, I always hated it. It just, I don't like, it just is it's weird to me. So whoever that was, maybe Rihanna, maybe Kelly, sorry. <laughs> I, I probably never admitted, I, I don't see they're pointing at each other. Um, I never loved it, but, uh, but I loved the work. It was cool work. Um, at the same time that that was happening, the elders, the elders had freed up money um, that was like called the Dream Fund or something like that. And the idea was that you could go to, um, Kent was sort of working it as the involvement minister at the time. You went to Kent, to the elders, whoever, um, and would tell them, this is the idea that we're working with. And they would you know, throw a couple hundred dollars at you or whatever and say, okay, go make it happen, um, which was a really cool um, way um, to do it. I didn't know until the other day that it was supposed to have had rules. Um, <laughs> I don't think any of us were ever aware that there were rules. We just took their money and ran. Um, and, and I mean, we didn't run away like with the money. We used it. Um, 
And so that's sort of what we funded the first versions of these um, with. We thought that we would do pants and pancakes once, and then we would move on to the res attacks ideas. I, probably the only reason we did it twice is because we got so many clothes. Um, and so we decided we needed to do it um, again. Uh, and so we did, and ultimately it became where we were doing Pants and Pancakes one month, Razatex on the other month. Um, Pants and Pancakes was becoming um, popular and really successful, and so over time the Razatex went away and we were just doing Pants and Pancakes every other month. Uh, and then people started um, actually asking us, like, why don't you do this every month? I need stuff every month. Uh, and so we started doing it every month, because the thing about giving away uh, used clothes is that they wear out faster than new clothes because they're already somewhat worn out. And so, you know, there are people who needed to come and sort of restock every month. Plus, if you have kids, kids need new clothes every month. Uh, they grow out of stuff amazingly fast. We were experiencing that at the time it was happening. Um, and so um, we, ended up, um, we ended up doing pants and pancakes every month. Uh, now, when we started, uh, the first month that we did it, we just set up tables in the Family Life Center and just put out clothes on tables and then hung pieces of paper from the tables that said like men's, women's, boys, girls. Uh, and then shoes were just like on the floor under the table or something. I don't even remember. But it was a really small operation. We just took what you, know, you guys had brought us like the week before. And so that's what we had. Um, we had enough left over that we decided we need to store them. And so we put them in those big trash sacks that are over there and threw them up onto the loft uh, in the Family Life Center. If you guys didn't know this, um, in the gym area where the gym becomes the classrooms, um, there's like ceiling up there. You can keep things up there. And so, um, you know, me or Jerry Burnham would go up into the attic space and the other one of us would, would throw bags up to the other one and we kept the bags up there. And we did that for a long time um, until actually that became a real hassle um, for us to be throwing bags up and down from that loft. And so then we moved those bags out to that storage container that sat out there. Do you guys remember the storage container? Um, so we had that old like train car or whatever it was um, that sat out there and it's what we kept lawn equipment in. And so we would move the lawn equipment, um, throw, we got the plastic bins that we still have now, we'd put the clothes in the plastic bins and we'd move the clothes into the back of the storage unit so that they stayed as dry as, po dry as possible and with the least amount of grass um, possible. And we stored them in there. And every month we'd have to get them out, open them, shake the grass off that sort of snuck their way into there and then, and then set up uh, until we finally got the room um, that we've had uh, until now. Uh, over there. Um, and that's sort of where the program has come from. Um, so early on, we developed a couple of really important priorities for us uh, in, in Pants and Pancakes, things that we wanted to make sure that we continued to follow, the things that became the kind of central ethic um, of Pants and Pancakes. The first one, and this is going to sound weird to you, Pants and Pancakes was not to be primarily evangelistic. Um, that sounds really strange, especially in a Church of Christ context, because we just believe that everything is evangelistic. And indeed it is. It's not that we were unevangelistic. Um, but all of us had experienced in other churches a weakness that I think Churches of Christ have, and, and maybe other um, communities as well, where we have a tendency to measure benevolence works based on the number of baptisms that they produce. Um, and so we had all seen programs where over a course of time, an eldership or somebody um, would ask, well, how many baptisms have you guys done? And if the number wasn't sort of high enough in whatever arbitrary um, sort of rule system they'd come up with, that was the end of the program. It went away. Uh, we wanted to make sure that that was never a part of the calculus of pants and pancakes. And so we kind of decided early on that if anybody ever asked us how many uh, baptisms have you had, we would say, I don't really know. We haven't counted. Um, I actually do have a rough idea, and I'm not going to tell you uh, what it is. 
Um, we always wanted the calculus of pants and pancakes to be, is there a need in the community and can we fulfill the need? Uh, and if the answer to both of those was yes, then the work needed to happen, regardless of whether or not it was producing baptisms. Because again, if the idea of being salty is that we're actually saving people who needed to be saved in a physical way, um, that that work was going to happen. And that we don't just go, well, you haven't um, saved yourself in the most important way and therefore starved to death. Um, I mean, the idea that we haven't connected those two things together and said, wait, this is not a good calculus um, was kind of astounding to me at the time. And so uh, that was important for us. Also at the time, there were a lot of programs going on, especially in the downtown area, where there was this weird kind of tit-for-tat um, thing happening in, in a lot of food ministries uh, where if you'll come to a sermon, we'll feed you. And there was, for example, one little um, church um, that had planted just south of downtown where that was actually the design of the building. Um, you came into the building, um, you sat through the church service, and then they fed you as part of the church service. And so it gave this weird idea that like we were paying for your attention by feeding you. Um, and we were really kind of uncomfortable with that. And there was a lot of it going on. It was a popular ministry style um, at that time. Um, and we didn't like the idea that we were commodifying the gospel in that way. Um, that somehow you paying attention to the gospel was the payment that you gave us for the meal that you, we were going to give you after. It was really important to us that our ministry be no strings attached. That we were going to feed you because we loved you. And because you're our neighbor. And someday it might be me that's hungry and you that has something to feed me. And that's what we as a family, we as a neighborhood, and we as a community are supposed to be about. That to us is what it meant uh, to be salty in the world. Uh, priority number two was that we didn't want to um, position ourselves as being somehow over uh, the people who came to Pants and Pancakes, if that makes sense. Um, if you haven't noticed this, pay attention and you will. Um, there can tend to be this kind of dynamics that creeps up in any benevolence ministry where we sort of automatically and accidentally get the idea that because I'm the one who's able to serve you, um, I'm especially magnanimous because of what I'm doing. And it becomes about me and how righteous and great um, I am. And that dynamic, whether we know it or not, is read pretty easily by the people that we're serving. Um, they understand that we've kind of created, whether we meant to or not, a power dynamic there, where I'm the one with stuff, you're the one in need, and therefore I may be serving you, um, but let's not forget who belongs on what rung of the ladder here. Uh, and we wanted to be real sure that that didn't happen um, with us. Um, that we never gave people the impression that because we're the ones with stuff, that we're also the ones ultimately in charge and in power um, and who are good or blessed or, or whatever um, the kind of creepy um, feeling is. Um, we wanted people to feel honored when they were here. And that meant a couple of things. One is, is that we were careful about what clothes we actually put out. Um, bless your hearts. There are a lot of things that we have been giving by a lot of you that went straight into the dumpster. Um, not because we don't love you and want your things, but because um, men in particular absolutely wear stuff out before you decide to get rid of it. Um, usually you don't get rid of it. Your wife like sneaks it out of a drawer, throws it in a bag, and it disappears before you ever know. Um, we don't want people to feel like they're getting lousy leftovers. We wanted people to feel like they were coming over there and going to a 
TJ Maxx or I don't know whatever store people shop at. Um, so we wanted good quality stuff out there. And so if it was poor quality or stained or whatever, we'd get rid of it. Um, we never gave wear away underwear unless it was um, new in the package because I'm not wearing your underwear. Uh, I don't care how well I know you. Uh, and so we didn't do that. If we felt like there was a need for underwear, we'd go out and buy underwear, um, which we'd done a few times. Buy underwear, buy socks. Um, that stuff that's going to like touch parts of your skin that you don't want other people's parts to be touching your... You know what I mean. Um, because, again, we wanted it to be a sense of, um, of respect and honor when they came there. We wanted good clothes. We wanted them to feel like they were at the store shopping for things. Um, the other thing was, and somebody stole my menu. I left a menu up here. The serving tray was too big to steal, so it's still here. As soon as we had enough people, um, we made menus to put on the table, and we bought serving trays. These are way more expensive than I knew they were and way harder to clean, um, as you can probably see. Uh, but we bought these as soon as we had enough really volunteers that we thought we could make it happen, and we began to actually serve people at their tables with a menu um, where they could tell us what they wanted. Usually what that actually meant is that they would told us what they didn't want because they'd want pretty much everything that was on the menu, um, you know, except for fruit cocktail. And so, uh, you know, we get a lot of, I don't want fruit cocktail. Every now and then you get, a, I don't want eggs or something like that. Uh, but again, the idea there was just like we wanted... <laughs> We don't need it anymore. <laughs> Just like we wanted people to feel like they were going into a store when they went into the clothing room, we wanted the people to feel like they were in a restaurant when they were seated at our tables. And so we came to them and we served them and asked them what they wanted and we brought them um, their food on those trays and served it to them. Um, sometimes use our older kids for this um, so that they could get um, you know, trained to go get a job and stop begging for money. Um, because we all know that when I go to a restaurant, I'm the important part in the relationship dynamic. You know what I mean? I mean, we don't really say that. It's not something we talk about. But restaurants are designed for that to be the dynamic. That when you're serving me as the waiter, it's really clear to both of us that I'm the bigger deal and that you're the servant. Um, and so for us, doing that was a big part of reversing that benevolence dynamic that we were so worried about creating. Um, because it turned over the system that the outside world lives on, where because I have some money and a good job and insurance, I'm just assumed to be more valuable than people who don't have those things. Our world is built that way, and we wanted to flip that upside down with the work that we did here one Saturday a month. And so we did that by putting on our aprons, our nasty shirts, um, and making ourselves the waiter. And we took as much abuse as any uh, waiter in any restaurant would, would take. Um, you know, people who would be mad at something being overcooked or undercooked or mad that they didn't want fruit cocktail, but we brought it to them anyway. Um, and, you know, you would make younger people who, who sort of felt bad about that feel better by going like, listen, it's free. Don't worry about it. Um, but again, that was purposeful. Uh, and honestly, the fact that we would get chewed out by people suggests to me that it was working um, because that was important uh, to us. Um, we learned a lot of lessons. We did a lot of really cool stuff. Um, there were times that we experienced mission drift where people would come to us with really good ideas and because they were good ideas, we would do them. Uh, and then we would get really stretched thin and kind of have to remember that that's not what we're supposed to be for and we would stop doing them. We were primarily a clothing ministry who were gonna feed people while, we were, while they were there. That's what we were supposed to be. And there were times that we had to like remind ourselves of that and get back to the core of what we were doing. Because we were doing other good stuff, but we were like killing our volunteers. 
um, and spending money that it turns out we didn't have, um, stuff like that. Um, of course, there were um, you know, a series of lessons learned and, and frustration. Um, I learned that I'm not very good at succession planning. Um, I stayed in the kind of organizational role of Pants and Pancakes about four years longer than I should have um, because it, it, like I'd never taught anyone to do what I had been doing. Uh, and then as soon as I thought I had someone taught um, and he was really happy to take over, he got a job in Tahlequah and left. Um, or his wife did, I don't know, but I haven't forgiven either of them. Um, <laughs> You know, and then, I, and then I finally got Tyler, and then Tyler started having kids, and, um, and then Danielle uh, figured out a really brilliant way to do uh, COVID-era pants and pancakes. Um, and so we got that done, but, but it was a tough lesson for me as a sort of a young leader who actually is in charge of people at my real job, um, that I've got to, like, know how to teach people how to do what I do. Um, I can tell you that probably our biggest frustration, whether it was during my time or Tyler's or during Danielle's, was, to be honest, um, just getting enough volunteers to not burn our people out. Um, I confess uh, to some frustration over the number of times I tried to find new workers and got like what I felt like were really lame excuses. Um, there are people who can't, nobody can do everything that needs to be done. That's why we're all gifted in different ways. Um, and so there are absolutely people who cannot stand at a stove for three hours. Um, you know, or people who can't walk around enough to serve. Now, we did, you know, get a high stool for, for one person who couldn't stand, but there are people who can't do that kind of work. And, uh, but there were also a lot of, like, um, my husband doesn't like to wake up that early. I don't care. Um, leave without him? I don't, I, I don't know what to tell you. And so I would get frustrated at, um, at answers like that. And I admit that I've sometimes felt um, resentful that we as a congregation really sort of loved to brag about pants and pancakes, but much fewer of us were actually showing up to work it. Um, and that bothered me um, a lot at, at times. Um, because for, again, for me, the calculus had always been, does the work need to be done? Because if the work needs to be done, then let's do it. And I admit that I burned out on it a long time before I stopped doing it because my, I, my opinion always was it has to be done. It doesn't matter if I'm tired of doing it because someone has to do it and no one's showing up to. And that was frustrating to me at times. And I say that, um, one, to get it off my chest, I feel much better, thank you very much. Um, but also because I'll sort of finish here by what the lessons learned um, for us as a congregation was from our years of doing Pants and Pancakes, 2009 to now. Uh, that's what, 12 years? Uh, 12 years. Um, that's a long, my kids, we were pregnant with my kids. Uh, Aiden is like six feet tall now. It's an exaggeration, but he's tall. Um, and so lesson number one is do something. If we ever start to think that what we are as good religious people is that I never miss a Sunday, I pay attention for the whole sermon, um, you know, I sit at the front so people can sit in the back, all of these are great things, but if that's what we think the life of the church is, then we've missed something really big and really important. We have mistaken the refueling station for the road that we're supposed to be on. Isaiah 52, seven. 
says, how lovely on the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news. Allison, this is where I told you I'd give you an assignment. How lovely on the mountain are the what, Alton? The feet of him who brings good news. It's not an accident that the ancient poet here uses feet as his image. Ancient feet are gross, especially if they're walking up a mountain. Um, They're flat and swollen from insufficient footwear climbing up a mountain. Um, They're sunburnt, they're bug bit, they're cracked and callous. And yet Isaiah says that they are lovely because they bring the good news. Isaiah doesn't say how lovely is the mind that knows all the right answers in Sunday school. How lovely are the ears that are able to pay attention for the entire sermon. How lovely are the fingers that furiously defend Christianity on Facebook. Isaiah says how lovely are the feet because feet are going somewhere feet are doing something they're being salty so that's lesson number one do something if you can't stand over a stove for two hours great don't feel like you have to but there's very few people in this congregation who haven't felt incredibly blessed getting a card from the card ministry um that's people who sit at a table on what could the time that they could be doing something else and thinking of people who aren't themselves and making sure that they know that they're being thought of. An incredibly important ministry in this congregation. Do something. There are people who come and just change light bulbs. Great for some people because they don't have to be around other people. They get to you know, work um, and kind of be alone doing it. Incredibly important ministries to the church. Do something. Because just showing up on Sundays and nothing else is missing the point entirely of what we're for. Lesson number two is get started. Pants and Pancakes grew out of a life group um, trying to figure out how to take philosophical conversations about scripture and turning them into action. Um, It was a half-baked idea. Uh, Again, we thought we were going to do it once. We just sort of one week said, please bring clothes next week. Uh, And then we used what we had. Um, We took money from um, a fund that had been set up for that with not much oversight, uh, which apparently we were actually supposed to be getting and just didn't know. And so we just didn't tell anybody what we were doing. We just did it. um, And it grew. And it grew into something that was a great blessing to this community, something that I think for a while at its peak was was maybe the definitive ministry. I don't mind saying so. the The definitive ministry of this congregation. It became for a little while part of the way that we defined ourselves was that we were the place that does pants and pancakes because the whole northwest side shows up on a Saturday morning at 8 o'clock in the morning to hang out in our building. Um, We didn't like present a nuanced, well-planned idea of a ministry and get the go-ahead from somebody. We just started doing stuff. And because it was the right thing to do, God blessed it. Um, At that time, none of us was a deacon. Uh, Nobody in the group was on our staff. Uh, We didn't, again, really run an organized plan by the elders or ask their permission. Uh, We just made sure that the FLC was available on the Saturday that we wanted it, and we reserved it. Um, So don't think that you have to wait for somebody with really smart ideas to give you a plan and ask you if you can be a part of the plan. If you have an idea, just start it. 
If it's an idea that takes some money, we have it. We have money <laughs> to help you start it. And Kent will talk about this, but part of the way that to get started is that we've got a big piece of paper in the hallway out there where if you've got a half-baked idea, we want you to write it on the wall. Because even if it's half-baked, if you start, God will bless the work that you're doing in his name. So do something and get started. And that's it. Now it's you, Kent. And I'll pick up my trash. You can tell when someone is gifted, with, gifted by God with the ability to speak uh, when they go way over their time limit. <laughs> it's the people who aren't who go short. So I don't know what that means, but I'm going to try and go short here. Um, we're continuing this Faith Path series, and the commitment we've made through this process is, is, is anytime we can, we won't just talk about what we're going to talk about. We're going to try and put it in action and do it. And so that's what we've done today. Uh, we're talking about giving and serving. And the way we talk about it is by doing it and celebrating it. So many ministries end when they fail or people get tired of them. And so Pants and Pancakes, it was important for us as we came to the end of it to say this ministry was successful and was a blessing to others and was a blessing to this church in many, many ways. Um, in Matthew 25, you know, a lot of times we think that when we serve others that we're being Jesus to them. But in Matthew 25, Jesus says, uh, when I was in prison, you visited me. When I was naked, you clothed me. When I was hungry, you fed me. Who's Jesus in the story? It's the person who is being blessed. If you as a Christian want to see Jesus, you see Jesus by serving others. And you see Jesus in their face. Pains and Pancakes has allowed us to see Jesus in the faces of those we've served for 12 years. It's been incredible. Uh, James 2, the passage that Alton read earlier, it ends in this, Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. You believe there's one God? Great. But even the demons believe that and shudder. So if you have faith to be saved and you don't do anything with it, what James is telling us is you have demon-level faith. You're as good to the kingdom as the demons are if you have faith and do nothing with it. God calls his people to be alive and active, serving and giving. At Northwest, we've done this for decades. It's part of the DNA of this church to build bridges into the community through service and through building relationships. When we had the bus ministry, the recovery ministry, uh, when we had the law groups and the events that we would do to invite the community in to spend time with us, uh, Pants and Pancakes in its season, uh, Highways and Byways does this. These are all ministries that through service and giving build bridges into the community. And, and the question that we have today at Northwest is, what's next? What is the next thing that our church is going to do to build bridges into the world around us so that we can take God to them and they can come see God in us and be a part of our church? And what Jeff said is right. There's a big piece of butcher paper uh, on the wall over by the Home Point Resource Center with a bunch of markers. If you've got half an idea about what, we think, what you think we can be doing uh, to reach the lost and to reach the least of these, go write it up there. 
draw a picture of it, whatever it is that you think it can do. Uh, go fill that wall with ideas. Uh, you also got an email this morning with a form that says, if you've got an idea that you'd like to describe in detail, respond to this. Uh, if you don't have email, send us a letter. Come up and meet with us. Have a conversation. And we'll get those ideas to our deacons and ministry leaders and start looking for new ways to build bridges into our community. What is it, it, what's the criteria? Here's the criteria. And as Jeff said, if you don't like the criteria, ignore it. Most people around here do anyways. We're looking for ministries that serve the least of these and seek the lost. We're looking for ministries that build bridges into our community. We're looking for ministries that put our faith and our spiritual gifts into action. And here's the other thing that, that we're going to try for a while. We're looking for ministries that will last for 6 to 12 months. Um, we rode our paints and pancakes volunteers pretty hard for a lot of years. And so one of the things I want to do is have a year of doing whatever the next ministry is with full enthusiasm and passion and excitement, learn our lessons from it, and then at the end of 12 months go, what did we learn? What's next? Let's pivot. What we know is that there are still needs in our community and there are still gifts in this church. And as long as that is true, we have to find new ways to build these bridges. But the way that we do it has always been open to change and transformation and reacting to needs and reacting to our calling and our gifts. One of the opportunities that we have today as we practice serving and giving uh, is you may have noticed, and we've talked about it a little bit already, uh, but out here in the South Fourier are a bunch of pieces of paper with all the different furnishings and appliance items and, and all the things that it takes to fill a house. And, and when you look at that wall what, and, and you're wondering what's that for, uh, last month, I think it was Jimmy Keyes said a prayer right here at the beginning of services. And the prayer was, God, as we watch these people fleeing Afghanistan today, we ask that you will help them. We ask that you will find some way to bless those people that are having this war break out around them. Well, God answered that prayer, and he gives us an opportunity to be part of that answer to the prayers right now. Um, about 1,800 Afghanistan refugees are coming to Oklahoma right now. Our military in the weeks after that prayer were able to heroically get over 100,000 Americans and allies and people who were potentially going to be killed by the Taliban out of Afghanistan. And many of them have been at, at different forts, uh, most of them in Virginia, uh, and now they're trying to find homes for them. Uh, the first refugees to Oklahoma City arrived, I think, two days ago, uh, and some reporters were there to ask them with translators, are you just exhausted? Are you worn out from the last month of your journey to leave your country and your home and to be here in Oklahoma City? And this family, there's a man and his wife and their four kids, three sons and one daughter, said, tired? Are you kidding me? We are so excited to be here and to be part of this place and to have a new life. We can't believe that this is happening. But they get here with only the clothes in their backpacks. We're going to have the opportunity uh, to furnish and to donate and to get all of the items that they have to arrive here, not just with the freedoms that we often take for granted, but they get to arrive here with a home. There's a lot of nonprofits that are partnering with them, and we're working with some of them. Uh, so what we're asking you to do today is go out there, and there's things that range from a, a, a bed to mattresses to tables, uh, all the way down to toilet paper and silverware. 
Uh, so there's, there's all kinds of different things that it takes to fill a house. Uh, go grab as many of the papers as you want to donate and to contribute to this cause. Uh, bring whatever you take back here. Uh, by next Sunday, we're just gonna put it on the Family Life Center so that it looks like someone lives there. Um, don't move in, uh, but it'll just look like that. Um, and then, uh, after you take the paper, make sure you put your name next to the items that you're taking so that, that we know who has those, and, and if we need to track it down, that'll be helpful um, to my wife, who will get mad at me if I don't tell you to do that. So, now you know. Um, do that. It's an incredible opportunity for us to show love to someone who's trying to find peace in the midst of incredible conflict. And it also fulfills one of the commands God gives us in Deuteronomy. In Deuteronomy, uh, it says that he, God, defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow and loves the foreigner residing among you, giving them food and clothing. You're to love those who are foreigners, for you yourselves were foreigners in Egypt. As Christians, there's times in this world that we feel like strangers. Right now, there's some strangers that are residing among us, and we get a chance to bless them as God has blessed us. Uh, we get a chance to bless them. So go take advantage of that service opportunity. Uh, families, include your kids in that process. The way to pass faith to your kids is not to tell them what to believe. It's to have a faith in your life that is worth emulating and copying in their lives. If you want to teach your kids about worship, you don't tell them about worship. You worship and invite them to join you. If you want to teach your kids about prayer, you pray and invite them to join you. If you want to teach your kids about giving and serving, you give and serve. And as you're going, you invite your children to join you. There are so many different ways that we can live our faith in a way that our children will see us living it and say, I want that faith too. This morning, if you're here, and you've been listening to this story and listening to the story and thinking, man, this, this whole Jesus thing is about more than just believing that he's the son of God and that he died to save me from my sins. It's about transforming my life. It's about changing my family. It's about changing the world around me by my faith-filled actions, by making a difference in God's name to the glory of his kingdom. If you're, if you're listening to that and you're thinking, I want to be a part of this community that's trying to change the world for God. And if you want to decide to become one of God's children, an adopted son or daughter of the kingdom, uh, why don't you come forward this morning? The Bible says if you believe and are baptized, you can be saved and you become part of this family that goes to work for God. If you need to respond to that gospel, please come forward this morning as we stand and sing. Common love for each other.